Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biblical Faith in the Modern World. On this episode, you will hear the class and myself discuss the abortion debate. We will go over some of the common pro-choice arguments that Christians need to be prepared to answer, and we will go over some discussion tactics that will help us to have a fruitful conversation with those on the other side. And most importantly, at the end, we will talk about the heart and the mindset that Christians should have as they approach people in discussing this issue. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Today's topic is the abortion debate. Obviously, it is something that has a lot of angst and tension around it in our culture today, uh, politically, socially, and has a lot of Christians confused nowadays as well on where we should stand on this particular issue. But as uh, we have talked as a class about this issue a number of different times throughout the year, and we've had people come and speak at our school, like Seth Gruber, who is an advocate for this issue. Uh, and um, while uh, someone like him uh, studies this sort of thing for a living, um, we also want to be able to come to conclusions ourselves and not just uh, repeat the same sorts of things, but also uh, dive a little bit deeper as we have the opportunity. And so today we have the opportunity to, to continue that. And so with the abortion debate, Again, something that is very sensitive uh, in our culture, politically, and everywhere else. And trying to create a framework for us as Christians to be able to appropriately think about this. Because there are even Christians who are divided on this issue and where we should stand. Whether it's okay, it's not. Or what circumstances it's okay and what circumstances is it not. So what we want to do is be able to think reasonably. Be able to take ideas to their logical conclusion and see where it leads us. Now, uh, one thing that I, I, I kind of want to start with as we go through some of the questions that we want to talk about today and some of the responses um, we do as Christians want to come from this, from a biblical mindset, which is to say, um, you know, as we look at scripture and I think there's some obvious things that would tell us where Christians should stand on this issue. Um, can anyone give us some sort of idea, biblically speaking, whether it be a passage or some sort of uh, idea that we can infer from scripture on where we should stand on this issue or um, uh, what what we're actually looking at in terms of, you know, the unborn. Um, does anyone have like a verse or a passage or idea from scripture that would give us some sort of idea of how we should think about this from a biblical standpoint? Anyone think of anything? Um, sure, I can. Okay, Lonnie, go ahead. <laughs> um, I'm sure Josh could help me on the actual reference for it but in the bible it says god um knitted us together when we were in our mother's room then he formed us before we even knew him um, and that's and also another verse is um that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in god's image and so that's kind of where we get like humanity and mankind as a whole and just seeing people um so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, both of those things put together uh, answer, really answer that question. Uh, Josh, did you have something else that you wanted to add to add to that? Um, um, yeah, I think, uh, so that I think comes from Psalm 139. Uh, yes. And something that kind of immediately popped into my brain was uh, the idea just of uh, our predestination as sons of God. And so, uh, and sons or daughters, I'm not, you know, excluding yeah. anyone, um, but that kind of idea makes me think that not only are we in this act of abortion willfully 
kind of uh, hindering the the will of the parents. Let's say that you know it was something that was intended from the, from like as a choice that they wanted a child, but then something happened and they decided that an abortion was a better choice. But not only would they be hindering their own choice, they would also be hindering the will of God. Really, is what it comes down to. So what, from the way I understand it, from the way that uh, scripture seems to present it, and uh, that idea is all throughout scripture. It's in Ephesians 1, it's in Romans, it's, yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah, uh, I, you guys hit on all of that, which is to say that, first and foremost, human, humans are created in the image of God. And so what we would say is that you know, people who are committing abortion are destroying an image bearer. And you know, with that, like Psalm 139, it, it seems to indicate that you know, God is the one knitting knitting the human together with, within the womb, and that God obviously has a hand in it very early on. And when we think about just the idea of conception and baby fetal development and all that kind of thing, uh, it's it's a pretty miraculous process. Um, obviously, there's things in there that science has allowed us to understand, but even even still, it's pretty amazing. But in all of that, from a biblical standpoint, we can clearly see where. Where, where the issue should be thought of um, as far as Christians, biblically, uh, scripturally, things that are there explicitly and implicitly. Um, and so as far as um, trying to decide, okay, what, what are the unborn? You know, it, if it, the thing is, if it's, if it's not human, then, um, then we, we don't have an issue, but the, the biggest question question that we need to answer and it can be stated a number of different ways well what, what question is that that we should be asking to determine whether or not in, in providing a framework or a foundation as we continually work up to think about this issue well, what's that question that we need to ask to even start so as with any argument or discussion about any topic it's important to define your terms so that everybody's on the same page so yes. um, when we're discussing abortion, it's extremely important to ask the question, just what is it? Because if the unborn is human, the argument is going to take a lot different turn than if the unborn is just a clump of cells. So the essential question that should inform our view on abortion is, are the unborn human? Because every argument that follows this question is going to be contingent upon your answer. Right. So yeah, the, what is it? You know, it, is it human? Is it just cells? Is it something else? Um, and, and yes, uh, is it human? Because the question that we would ask in that, uh, that would give us our answer as to whether or not, th if this is okay, if it is human, is it ever okay to kill, intentionally kill an innocent human being? Is that ever okay? No, of course not. <laughs> okay. Never. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, we all have a resounding no with that. It is never okay to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Um, I mean, I, I, I've tried to think of scenarios where it would be okay, um, but uh, I can't really think of many. But the bottom line is, generally speaking, the reason why we have laws against this is that it is immoral, it is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. And it's because humans have value, and we recognize that. Whether we get that, the idea of human life, you know, the value of human life coming from God, Scripture, or something, or something else. I, I think even uh, the most hardened atheists would say that humans have value, I think. Um, so 
and it's not necessarily, you know, an appeal to majority, which is to say, you know, everyone agrees that humanity is, is valuable. And so just because everybody says that makes it okay. Obviously we get our value. We get our intrinsic worth from something outside of us. So we agree humans are valuable. And so therefore it is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. So if we were to answer the question, are the unborn human? If we say yes, that radically informs our decision on what to think about this issue and should lead us to some very specific conclusions, which is to say it is never okay. It's never okay to kill an innocent human being. However, if we want to try to debate the idea that um, the unborn are not human, okay, if you're, if you're going to try to say that the unborn aren't human or say less valuable, then uh, what, are, what are some of the differences that the unborn have that we would have, say, outside of the womb um, that would make it okay to go ahead and take the life of the unborn. So what are, what are some of those differences or what's something that we can use to, say, categorically make decisions on, you know, what are the differences that would lend us to say, it's okay to go ahead and do this? Do we have an acronym that will help us? Yes, we do. And the acronym is SLED. Uh, the S is for size, the L is level of development, the E is environment, and D is the degree of dependency. Okay. So uh, what you're saying as far as that acronym goes, each of those four things are the primary differences that we have between the unborn and the born, or the unborn and those who are living outside of the womb. So the difference is size. They're obviously smaller the level of dependency, they're obviously, obviously more dependent. Uh, the environment, uh, they're obviously in a very different place. And then the degree of dependency, clearly they are more dependent. So did we say for L level of development? If I said yes. level of dependency, I meant to say level of development. So the level of development, they're clearly less developed. So um, looking at these differences, can someone kind of explain, you know, what, what the logical conclusion and implications are for saying that something like, you know, it's you know, the unborn are less valuable or less human because they're smaller or the unborn are less valuable because they're less developed or they're in a different environment or because they are dependent upon the mother, they are less human. So what kind of conclusions, logical conclusions do, can we take these ideas to, to say, eh, this doesn't really work for being able to make the determination of whether or not we should do this. Yeah. Um, and if, if you like break down the S, the L, the E and the D individually to somebody, they'll kind of realize how ridiculous it would be to base, Ooh, to base their um, worth of people based off of those four things. Um, right. Cause James, um, I mean, you're a pretty tall guy, but do you I know, people, <laughs> do you know uh, people who are taller than you? Yeah, yeah, quite a few. And then obviously, are you taller than some of the people out there? Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, so to say that it's okay to do this because, you know, the the fetus, the unborn, it's so small. Um, so yeah, especially if you perform an abortion, you know, 12 weeks or before that, I mean, it's really small. So to say that they're less valuable because they're smaller, okay, let's get, as we take that to its logical, logical conclusion, James, are you more valuable than some people because you're bigger? 
according to many pro-abortion advocates, yes. Yeah, uh, but but in all reality, no. Anyone who is shorter than you is not less valuable than you. Obviously, um, you might be able to reach things that are higher up on a shelf, but it doesn't make you more valuable. Um, and even the other way around, there's people who are bigger than you. Just because they're bigger than you, are you any less valuable? No, no, of course not. Good. So as we take that through level, you know, level of development, environment, degree of dependency, obviously you can see where we're going with this. But James, can you kind of expound upon that? Just taking those things to its logical conclusion. Yeah, when, I mean, when you take any of these to its logical conclusion, like we'll take, I don't know, like level of dependency to its natural conclusion, you'll just get yeah. to the point where it, you know, human worth is entirely, you know, it's it's on this big giant spectrum, and nobody is entirely you know, completely human to the point where they're all equally worth it, like worth the same amount according to however you base it, you know, size level dependency and all that. So, I mean, you get to the point where who's worth what and then how do we decide who's worth keeping, who's worth not keeping. And obviously um, that leads to a lot of issues with when you come to people like babies and fetuses who can't, contribute anything to society really yet because they're so young um people will adopt this kind of oh, what's the word oh gosh um utilitarian perspective of people if they follow this this viewpoint sure it just leads to people just not you know completely disregarding the fact that people are you know fundamentally have worth and you know it gives us the power to decide who you know who's really like the most human i guess if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it's kind of a scary thing. Um, to, and uh, going along with what you said about the, when we consider these four things, size, level development, environment, degree of dependency, every single person is sort of on a different place in the spectrum as it relates to these things. And so uh, as spread out as that is, how, who, you know, who do we say is, at the top of this thing that we would say anyone below them is less valuable. And so therefore, if we're provided with a circumstance where we got to choose between one or the other, then the one who falls further down on that spectrum is the one that gets axed. Um, obviously when we, again, take these things to their logical conclusion, they don't help us in determining uh, whether or not taking the life of the unborn is a, is a thing we should do, whether or not it actually makes them human or uh, trying to determine their value. So what we'd have to say is that if the unborn are human, they are categorically in no way less valuable than those who are outside of the womb. Again, I I'm kind of in a situation where um, th this is sort of a, a perfect example for me because right now I have a child who is unborn and I have a child who is two. And in all of these, we wouldn't, it would be very difficult for me to say that my child who is not born is less valuable in any of these categories than my child who is born uh, simply because there's a difference. Um, like I've said before, my child, my, my, my two-year-old is not much less dependent on my wife than my child who is not born. So to say that you know, one is less valuable than the other um, doesn't make sense as we look at the differences between them relating to this acronym that we would use sled to determine the value of the unborn. All right. So um, it, if you know, we're going to say, and if we're going to argue that the unborn are human, 
And that should inform the decision of whether or not we should or we should be able to do this. Because again, going back to some of the basic questions, which is, is it ever acceptable to take the life of an innocent human? We'd say no. Okay, well then, um, question being, are the unborn human? I think we can make a case for that. I think we can even make a scientific case for that. We don't have a ton of time to get into it. And I'm not a, I, I'm not an expert to, to, to speak a ton about that, but I, the science is there. Um, but there obviously are some really rare circumstances. There's, there's some uh, cases out there that we would have to ask the question, well, what about this case? What about in this scenario? And there's plenty of those out there to try to justify really the whole the whole spectrum of reasons that you know, women might get abortions. We'll talk about that in a second. But what do we do in some of the more sensitive cases? What do we do in cases like rape or incest or uh, anything else like that, that we would say, oh, yeah, that's that's terrible. And in some ways, you know, what? maybe I can kind of understand why that would be OK in that circumstance. But what if the unborn are human? How does that inform our decision on those questions? So everybody would agree that um, we'll take rape for for instance. Um, everybody would agree that that is a horrible situation, um, and in those um, uh, those cases that are less common, where uh, rape leads to uh, conception and and there is a um, a child in question. Um, here we we have to say for one um, the consequences that are given um, uh, uh, to those people are, are just nowhere near as they should be. Um, they deserve much, much worse than they um, uh, are already get in today's society. And everybody's in agreement with that. We know that that's just um, the, the, the situation in and of itself of the, the actions that uh, they take. It's, it deserves way worse than it already gets. Um, and, and so yeah. pressing with that, um, uh, with making a case that if the unworn is human, and this is uh, uh, a person that uh, uh, w will be born within the year and everything, um, there the consequences, uh, the consequence of death specifically, um, shouldn't go to them. Uh, they they've done nothing wrong in this scenario. Um, they're the, the they're the product of the sin of um, their parent uh, in in that case and. Um, all of the consequences that should go uh, to the person who did the wrong thing, um, they, even though they deserve so much worse, none of that um, should get uh, spread onto the child. Um, they're they're just an innocent bystander, um, uh, just like the, uh, the person affected by it. So um, it's although it's totally understandable that um, there should be much more um, there should be much more consequence in that case and and how just vile and cruel that is, um, it, it, it still stands that since the uh, child uh, is human and has done no wrong um, and they're completely innocent, they, they don't deserve um, uh, to be killed based on the situation they were uh, conceived in. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's very unfortunate, um, but also doesn't, shouldn't lead to their own demise uh, because of uh, the fault of someone else. Good. Um, again, like you said, this is one of those situations where um, it's unthinkable. It really is. And I 100% agree with you that anyone who is caught and arrested and 
um, tried for any sort of crime like this definitely deserves harsher punishment than we than than we give currently. And so in terms of, you know, who really should be paying the price for this? It's those people. And obviously sometimes uh, people get away with it and we don't like that. But as far as who should be paying the price for it, um, it, it should be those people, which is to say when the unborn life is taken in that circumstance, uh, really they're the ones who are, who are paying for it because, you know, as horrible as a situation like that is, um, if we take our idea to its logical conclusion, take our argument, which is to say the unborn are human, the human that is in the womb of that woman um, is an innocent human being. And again, if we go back to the question, is it ever morally okay to kill an innocent human being? No, it's not okay. And so what we would say in taking our argument to its logical conclusion is to say, it is, it is still not morally acceptable to take the life of the unborn child as a result of a case of rape. Um, of course, we want to provide whatever resources we can to help. We want to we want to do whatever we can to care for that woman, obviously, as a result of what she's been through. And, and we cannot say enough about the tragedy of all of that. You know, however, on the issue of abortion, and as we answer the question, you know, what about the case of rape? We we would have to stay consistent and say that it is still not acceptable. It's still not morally acceptable in that case as well. Um, you know, and, and and the same would go for for in you know for incest, which obviously happens. And so, much in the case of rape, as far as the consequences, who should pay for that? Who should um, incur the punishment? It should be the people doing it. So. In these really sensitive cases, uh, in staying consistent with our argument, you know, this is where we land. And as difficult as it is to talk about it, and as um, as much as people may be sort of flabbergasted that we would even think or say that, that that's where we we would be standing, taking our argument to its conclusion. Now, just one thing to say about that, uh, you know, according to some of the statistics that are out there, again. The we, we have talked about the Guttenmacher Institute before, which is basically the research arm of uh, Planned Parenthood. And in talking about, you know, statistically speaking, you know, what what percentage of abortions are done because of these cases? And uh, depending on which study you look at, it's a very small percentage. Yeah, it's it's less than five percent. So. Um, when we are trying to determine whether or not this this sort of thing should still be legal, you know, if if we're going to be challenged with the question of you know is it well, what do you think in the cases of rape or incest? I, I think as those who are you know pro life and more so just thinking on this from a biblical standpoint, we we would have to say, uh, or I think we would be tempted to say, okay, you know what, um, we'll we'll go ahead and 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 keep abortion, keep it legal for those circumstances. And even then, we'd still be getting rid of a, a very large majority of the abortions that happen for reasons that are based, that are for the most part related to convenience, which is, you know, 
financial difficulty, uh, relationship difficulty, you know, mental health and, and these other things um, uh, that uh, are given as reasons that women get abortions. And so uh, even then, what what we often see is the, the pro-choice side wanting to take some of the exceptions in extreme cases and make them the rule to make all of it legal at any time. So, you know, on, on that particular issue or those issues like rape, like incest, again, we've talked about how we take our ideas to their logical conclusions. And Silas, you did a good job with that. Obviously treating it as sensitively as possible because it's a terrible thing. But at the same time, at least being able to acknowledge that trying to draw uh, uh, conclusions on the legality of it and the morality of it based on these uh, very, very few circumstances, statistically speaking, um, is is just kind of dishonest and uh, a very scary place to get to if we're going to decide whether or not to make it legal or not. So uh, good on that. Now, um, even in those you know, uh, difficult or sensitive scenarios, which I think a lot of people would say, yeah, th those are those scenarios are okay. If it's not even okay in those circumstances, then in what situations would we say that abortion is morally acceptable? Um, so there's a medical term for it, and it's called an ectopic pregnancy. Um, ectopic just means displaced. So in this type of pregnancy, um, the egg is fertilized in the fallopian tube instead of the uterus. And um, if the fallopian tube, um, as the fetus um, evolves, if the fallopian tube bursts, it can actually be fatal to both the mom and the child. And um, this pregnancy can't come to its full term because of the fatal rate. Um, and it's a very low um case so i think every two out of a hundred pregnancies are usually ectopic um but in this case we would say it is morally acceptable because um you're saving the mom and the child or that you're saving the mom um and which we would want to save the child but if we were going to lose both lives instead of just one we would prefer to lose the child um just because if, if there is a chance that she could get pregnant again, it's probably not going to happen in the fallopian tube. It's going to happen in the uterus. And so um, the chance that the mom could get pregnant again and bring another baby to full term would be um, the way we would want to go. Right. So there are scenarios, and obviously it's pretty rare, um, where baby's conceived and it doesn't descend down into the uterus to attach to the uterine wall. It actually attaches to the wall of the fallopian tube. And if <clears throat> the fetus continues to grow, the fallopian tube is going to rupture and the mother is going to bleed out and we're going to lose both of them. <clears throat> now, at that point, uh, obviously we would have to, if we're provided with a scenario, we have to make a, a pretty drastic decision. And the decision really isn't, okay, do we, um, you know, let the mother live or do we uh, take the life of the um, unborn fetus? At that point, both of them are going to die at that point. So obviously the right decision in that case would be to say, okay, we, we can, how much life can we save if both of them are going to die? If Saving one life is better than losing two lives. 
So at that point, we would go in and we would end the life of the unborn child to save the life of the mother. That's an ethical dilemma that I think most people would be able to see the right conclusion would be to save at least one if both are going to die. Um, and like we've said, this is, this is a very rare scenario. But even still, in describing that situation, is it even proper to call it an abortion at that point? Well, an abortion is just terminating the life of a baby and spontaneous abortion, which is just a miscarriage, is also a term that is used. And it's not something that is um, direct and um, what's the word? Um, as you're saying that, the, the word intent comes to my mind. Yeah. And so it's it's the term abortion, but it's not the mother's choice to purposefully do it. Just like a spontaneous abortion is the loss of a child. The mother didn't purposely have a miscarriage. It just happened. Um, and I'm sure there is another word that we could find, but those are the terms that we do use for it. So, Yeah. And the question then at that point becomes, okay, what is the intent? The intent in an abortion is to go in and end the life of the child with the procedure that we're talking about, our intent is to save the life of the mother while the consequences of that is having to end the life of the unborn child. Our intent, which is different, uh, drastically different is in fact the opposite, which is to save the life of the mother. And so that, that would be a scenario where we would say, given the ethical dilemma there, it seems to be obvious where we would land. And, you know, in some of the cases, uh, that are related to this, which is to say, um, you know, if I, if I were to tell you guys, you know, abortion is okay. If the health of the mother is at risk, what's a question that you have about a term that I'm using? Or that you should ask. What would you mean by at risk? Uh, good. At, what do, what do I mean by at risk? But there's a, there's another word in there that, I, that we really need to define. What do you mean by health? Yes. So there's a number of things in there that you should ask. Okay, what do you what do you mean by that? So when we say abortion is okay when the health of the mother is at risk. Yeah, but both both are perfectly adequate to ask questions about. What do you mean by health? What do you mean by at risk? Now, in 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 this medically speaking, the idea of health has been expanded to say not just you know, life in danger, but mental health, uh, psychological health, um, you know, is, is uh, being pregnant causing, you know, the woman to be depressed. Now, I will guarantee you every woman at, at various different points throughout a pregnancy, just because there's a lot of stuff going on, is going to feel depressed. Um, it is the answer to, um, you know, getting rid of that to end the life of, of the child. And again, if it's human, if it's innocent, it's wrong to kill it. Uh, even still, let's just, again, take the example of my two-year-old. Sometimes the things my two-year-old does depresses me. <laughs> does that give me the go-ahead to go ahead and kill him? Because sometimes as a result of him, I'm depressed. Now, I, I don't suffer from depression, um, uh, but <laughs> the, the answer clearly is, okay, just because I feel a certain way or my psychological or mental health is put in a certain state because of something my two-year-old does 
or I'm sure some of you have caused your parents grief and distress and sometimes depression. I don't know, but I'm sure some of you have maybe at, um, maybe at least James, but, um, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, James. I was, I was making a joke at your expense. That's okay. I'm used to it. Totally joking. Fun. Yeah. But the point is, what do we mean by health? And health has been expanded to include things like that, which, um, the question should be, or really the, the statement should be abortion is okay when there, when the mother's life is at risk. At that point, we can still ask the question, okay, what do you mean by life? What do you mean by at risk? Or what we should say is when the mother's life is in danger, which in the case of an ectopic pregnancy, clearly the mother's life is in danger to the point where if we don't act, then we're going to lose both of them. So when we make claims or when we hear claims that abortion should be legal uh, or should be is morally okay when the mother's health is at risk, we have to ask the questions that we that we talked about. But I think it's better to say and more appropriate to say abortion is okay when the mother's life is in danger is, is, is better is a better way to put that. Okay, let's, um, let's move on to, um, you know, some of the, I guess, common responses, um, say by, you know, the pro-choicers to say that, um, uh, you know, abortion should be legal or, uh, when we make certain cases or certain arguments, um, what some of the responses are that will um, uh, sometimes cause us to have to, again, continue to think in ways that will take things to their logical conclusion. So we, we hear things often like, um, you know, it's, it's the woman's body, so they should, or, um, so they should decide what to do with it. Um, how do we how do we address that charge which is but you know bodily autonomy the woman should be able to make whatever decisions about her body because it's her bo her body her choice how how do we address something like that yeah um for that one i would just start with kind of what we said at the beginning like defining our terms kind of figuring out what's the essential question like we're asking and i think if we say that the unborn is human um, then it's not just the women's body that we're dealing with. It's the body of the child as well. Um, and that it's the, if the unborn's human, it's a distinct human, um, inside the women's womb and, um, therefore it should be protected. And, um, just because the baby's body can't protect itself doesn't mean that the mother automatically has the, the right to choose to terminate that life. Um, and I think even if we would consider, yes, the baby is inside the woman's body, um, therefore it's somewhat a part of her, I would say it's still dangerous to conclude that we can decide what to do with our bodies no matter what. Um, I automatically would think of passages in the Bible like 1 Corinthians 6. Um, it talks about... Um, you know, Paul's saying in here um, that people are arguing with him, I have the right to do anything. Um, but he says explicitly, not everything is beneficial. Um, and that we are not our own, but we're, we were bought with a price and we're, and we're God's children. And um, we should be working to honor God with our bodies. And so to say that a woman can do whatever she wants with her body is kind of 
um, starting to get into the dangers and um, it's just not wise to start playing God in the situation and saying, um, oh, I can do whatever I want because it's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily um, what we're even called to do. And I've, me personally, I've heard um, even Christians arguing, oh, I am pro-choice because uh, I, w- I don't agree with it, but I, I don't want to tell someone else that they can't do something. And I think um, Paul is explicitly kind of speaking up against that and saying, no, in love, um, we should speak the truth to people. Um, we should be telling them, no, that's that's not just your body. It's God's body. It's that child's body that you're affecting. Um, so therefore, we can't just say, oh, do whatever you want. Make your own decision. We should be kind of speaking up for the the truth and the the protection of that unborn child excellent yeah you you raise a couple of things there that i think um draw significant implications uh for this idea of being able to sort of do whatever you want with your body definitely as christians we would say no we don't have the right to do whatever we want with our body um it, obviously we we're we're concerned about sin and we we don't want other people to fall in sin we don't we don't want to fall into sin and we we would never want to do something with our body that is sinful so as christians the the this idea is very clear we we just we don't do whatever we want with our body but even still um outside of that um we we don't allow anyone in this country to do just whatever they want with their bodies um you, you know, obviously in you know, places like Nevada and very few places like, you know, prostitution's elite or prostitution is legal. Um, but even still, uh, with that, what we're saying is yes, you can do that with your body, but in most other places in the country, we're saying to, you know, to women, you can't do that with your body. Um, and some people would argue, well, we shouldn't tell women that, well, there, there's plenty of other scenarios where we would say that there's certain things that you just can't do with your body. Um, and obviously I think some of those things will be loosened as time goes, but either way, we don't just let everyone do whatever they want with their body. But even still, uh, Olivia, you mentioned something about the fact that, um, you know, the, the unborn life that is inside the woman is really not a part of her body. It's inside of her body, but it's not a part of it because the implication there is, okay, if it is her body, then what, or what are the implications of that? If we say that that baby is part of, or it is the woman's body. Yeah. What, what, um, what are the implications of that? It's kind of implying, yeah, that it kind of comes back to that baby isn't its own distinct human. It's not its own person. Um, and kind of putting it just at the will of only the woman's choice. Um, but yeah, I think we still, we just constantly have to go back to the essential question of if the unborn's human, then it has the right to be protected and um, and kind of, yeah, the, the body, bodily autonomy argument kind of becomes invalid because it's not just one body, it, it's two. Um, and I think that's really important to, to consider. Right. And, and with all of that, you know, uh, since it's um, inside the woman's body, but not a part of the woman's body, the idea would be <clears throat> that that baby, if it's, if it's a boy, you know, that it doesn't have the, the, the parts of that boy are not a part of the mother. Um, the baby has its own DNA. It has its own blood type. Uh, blood type may be the same as the mother's, but um, in a lot of cases, it's not going to be because there's a, uh, obviously different blood types. But the point being, the 
the mother does not have 20 fingers, 20 toes, does not have two noses, um, you know, does not have a penis if it was a boy in her womb. So it is not, it's not her body. It's distinct from her body, although it is inside her body. So, um, you know, the whole idea of women should, you know, her body, her choice. Um, no, it, yes, it does affect her body, but that, that body that is inside of her is, is not hers. And again, like you said, deserves the same rights of protection that anyone else does. Um, well, one of the implications of this, and I definitely want to mention this, even though we didn't really, uh, we didn't talk about this a ton in our class, but uh, sometimes the argument along with this one will be, well, yeah, it's human, but it's not a person. And so people will draw the distinction between human and a person, which um, is, is one of those sort of faulty dilemmas. It's not an either or. Um, it is it is both in the same, which is to say it is human, therefore it is a person. So we as Christians, or just in general, as, as we make this argument uh, for our case on this issue, uh, the idea of a, a human and a person is is I guess interchangeable, but it's, it's one in the same. So we would not make that distinction because um, some people saying that, yes, it's human, but it's not a person. There's no other scenario where that, where that's appropriate to make the distinction between a human and a person. Um, now uh, we, another one that we hear oftentimes um, is, you know, especially with us guys, as we formulate our, our ideas on this, um, you know, it's a, it's a woman's issue. So therefore men should not have a say in it. Um, uh, what, how would we respond to that? You know, do we as men need to just be quiet because obviously we can't get pregnant. So therefore it's not a, um, you know, it's not a, uh, a man's issue. So therefore we should have no right to say anything about that. How would we respond to that as we make our arguments? Well, if we were to bring out a uh, woman who has the same argument as a man, uh, let's just say I argued that just in general, abortions shouldn't be done because of just any moral, really any moral uh, standpoint. If we were to bring out a woman who has the same argument, my question would be what then would their question be to them? Because I mean, arguments don't have genders. We're not, we're not uh, basing this off of a you know, it, it's all very objective. We can't base our argument based off of our gender. It's not, you just, it, you can't do that because then you don't make any progress. Right. Um, so in, in making our arguments and, uh, and really it's, it's not so much in a, we, we wouldn't say it's an opinion because um, we're formulating an argument. And I guess if you want to call it opinion, that's fine. But either way, the argument that I'm putting forward is that the unborn are human Along with that, it's it's not morally right to take the life of an innocent human. Um, you should leave my gender out of it. And yes, if we were to bring in a woman to make the same argument, what are we going to say about her? But in addition to that, yes, okay, pretend for just a moment that I'm not a man, or yeah, just just for just address my argument, regardless of where it comes from. And like you said, I, I like that you said the fact that arguments don't have genders. So. Considering all of that, it is perfectly okay to to really make an argument about anything in a debate, uh, regardless of where you come from. Now, it may be hypocritical of a person to make an argument and obviously act in a different way, but when we just consider the argument just by itself, 
it should make no difference what gender we are. So um, good. I, I like that that idea that arguments don't have genders. Um, but even still, the uh, the I think the majority of pro-life advocates are women anyways. But even still, even still, obviously it is a man's issue because at least half of all the babies that are aborted are males. So when it affects males, um, it kind of is a male issue. It is a man's issue. So when we at least ex ex extrapolate some of those things, it still kind of is a man's issue because men or males are still affected by it. But even still, when we formulate our arguments, should not, should not matter where it comes from, man or woman. All right, good stuff. Um, let's look at um, you know the whole idea of you know making abortion illegal uh, would make it difficult or dangerous for women, and they would you know resort to say back alley abortions, or uh, they would resort to methods that would be you know secretive, underground, or something that would make it much more dangerous for the woman to get an abortion. So making it illegal would cause women to resort to back alley abortions or trying to, you know, do things themselves. You know, what, what do we, what do we say to that? Well, again, this is why it's so important for us to define our terms, as Ella said, and to uh, be sure that we're seeing the unborn as human if we're choosing to, take that argument because uh let's just say we were to say murder is dangerous and if making it illegal would make it more dangerous well i mean that's clearly it's, it's a very it's, it's evident it's self-evident in itself and so if we define the unborn as human it's already seen as murder it's a very simple answer actually um and so making it uh making it illegal would actually allow it to be done less because of course people would be conforming to the law. Right. Um, yeah. And at the same time, it obviously we were concerned about pregnant women. We're concerned about women who would, you know, uh, we're, we're, we are concerned about the circumstances and scenarios that would sort of force women to make these decisions. Uh, th that should be a concern, but at the same time, we talk about matters of life and death. Um, you know, if it's if it's going to be more dangerous for the women to get this, who who else do we need to consider in this scenario? Who is going to lose their life? The child. Yeah, there's obviously an innocent human being who is going to be sought out and destroyed. Uh, we we are concerned about them too. Um, not to say that again, that we're not concerned about the woman. We are. Um, and when we consider the things that are at play, you know, the danger of life, life being lost, um, again, jo yeah, Josh, you said something about the example of, you know, it's sometimes it's dangerous to commit, you know, to, to kill somebody. So let's just sort of take that scenario outside of the womb to say, you know, just because in this scenario, it's dangerous to kill somebody. Does that mean we should just go ahead and let that killing be legal because re, because making it illegal would make it more dangerous for someone to actually commit. And we definitely say, uh, no, just because it's dangerous to kill somebody that way doesn't mean we're going to make it legal. Um, so in much the same way, much the same way, 
to say that you know we're, we need to make it legal um, because it's going to be more dangerous for you know women to kill their unborn babies. Um, we, we need to have the same answer for that, which is to say just because a situation uh, it, or just because a situation of uh, killing somebody is dangerous doesn't mean we should make it legal in order to avoid the danger of it. Um, now, what, this isn't necessarily a an argument for being pro-choice or against um, you know pro-lifers, but it is a common charge or assertion that's made against them, which is or, or just Christians in general uh, who are also pro-life, which is to say, you know, Christians only care about babies before they are born. Um, what is what is something that we could say in response to that that would give evidence to say, ah, uh, it's not really the case. Are we still there? Y'all can hear me, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did we um, <laughs> did we assign this to anybody to say um, what the real statistical analysis is of this issue? Which is saying that only Christians care about babies before they are born. I can take it if nobody else wants to. Go ahead, James. Go ahead. Um, I think this is just a kind of a, just a really strange thing to say because it's, I mean, pretty much objectively false. I've never met anybody, Christian or non-Christian, uh, actively not care for children if they had to. I mean, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of um, child care services, um, faith-based child care services that you know are entirely staffed by Christians. Um, there are plenty of other Christians who work in, you know, things like uh, CPS um, and other child care services, you know, for children who are born already. I mean, any Christian mom or dad who takes care of their kids is obviously disproving that claim. Um, I think this is just like when people say this, they're trying to backpedal on the actual discussion itself to try and uh, deflect any criticism on abortion itself by trying to paint uh, the people who are criticizing it in a negative light. Right. And this is kind of like one of those red herring things that protesters will often bring in, which is to say, when we make our case against abortion, when we make our argument, um, kind of bring in the side issue of, you know, you only care about babies, you know, before they are born. Uh, well, okay, that's that's kind of a different issue. I, I can see how you might think it may be similar, and I know you're trying to point out an inconsistency in my thinking. But you know, that's a let's let's talk about the argument for and against abortion, and whether or not that should be permissible. But if you want to talk about you know Christians and their uh, disposition towards you know babies after they are born, um, historically speaking, especially since since the New Testament times, Christians were far and above more caring for orphans and, and children who were unwanted in the ancient world. Um, the, uh, Christians and people in the church were, were adopting and taking in all kinds of children who were unwanted. And that's still the case even now and has always been historically speaking. Uh, the statistic, as the statistics go, Christians are twice as likely 
to adopt than any other group. And so on this issue of abortion and caring just categorically for children in general, Christians are, are far more likely to care for, you know, children and babies outside of the womb as much as they are caring for babies inside the womb. So it is one of those sort of, sort of side arguments that, or side things that pro-choicers might bring in, but also attempting to point out the inconsistency in our thinking or in our argument. Um, it's something that absolutely fails because it's just simply not true. Um, now, as we kind of bring our little talk to a close, we've mentioned something a couple times that helps us formulate our ideas on some of these questions, which is to say, if the unborn are human, then they are no less human or any less valuable than really any other person. And so in trying to answer the questions that might be posed as to, okay, well, what about this scenario? What about this scenario? Well, again, if the unborn are just as valuable, if they're just as much human as anybody else, um, what is one of the, uh, say, arguments or examples that we can provide that would help us answer some of these questions? We can use trot out the toddler. So trot out the toddler, okay? How do we use trot out the toddler? So using this tactic, it asks if the justification for killing the unborn would still apply if the child was a toddler or outside the womb. Meaning, like, in the example of how a woman isn't, like, able to care for the child if she gets pregnant, um, and that'll be her excuse for to have an abortion, then would that same woman who had a child maybe three years before, um, is that, does that give her the excuse to kill her toddler as well, if she can't provide for that child too? Yeah, and it's, and it's pretty powerful when you think about it. Um... You know, I've talked about this a couple of times, but, you know, go on this journey with me where, um, you know, given the circumstances that we're in, let's just say, you know, coronavirus pandemic hits. I'm one of these people who has lost my business. I've lost my livelihood. Um, I'm struggling. I'm about to lose my house. You know, I, I, I can't provide. I can't, um, you know, I'm financially um, suffering. I, I'm, I'm less capable of, you know, taking care of my family. Um you know, let's just say my wife and I, because uh, my wife being eight months pregnant, we were to say, you know, we, we can't have this child. We, we just can't do it. We can't, we can't provide for it. It would put us in even greater financial turmoil. We just, we need to, we need to go end its life. We need to go have an abortion. Some people would look at that and say, you know, I, I completely understand, you know, why would you bring a child into that scenario or something like that? Well, I also have a two-year-old. Um, would it be okay then to go down to, you know, I don't know, wherever and say, you know what, we, we need to take the life of our two-year-old as well, because, you know, he is also causing financial hardship in this difficult situation that we need to get rid of. Somebody would look at that and say, uh, no, that you know, you can't do that. Okay. Well, what, what answers, what, what solutions do you have for me? Well, can't they like go to a relative? Can't they, um, can't you put them up for adoption? Can you just, can, you know, can you ask for money? Can, can can you do anything besides like take his life? Yeah, I, I guess I can do that. You know, maybe I can send him to go live with my parents. Maybe, uh, I don't know, I can put him into foster care. Or, you know, there's, there's obviously solutions that people would say, isn't that obvious? Well, yes, it is. And it's also obvious in the other circumstance as well. While it is unfortunate that 
having financial difficulty and maybe not being say ready, you know, all of those things and all of those reasons that, you know, we would say are unfortunate circumstances, it still does not lend itself to come to the conclusion that you can take the life of the child because of that. So again, uh, you know, using that example, using child out the toddler, which is to say, you know, I have an unborn child, whatever scenario that I can come up with to say, I should be able to take that child's life because either we're not ready we, you know, we're, we're in a horrible financial situation or something like that, that that does not apply to my two-year-old. And if we were to say that both of them have equal value, uh, none of those scenarios provide me grounds to take the life of my unborn child if it is not grounds to take the life of my born child. So that, that argument, that example of child the toddler, which is to say, you know, is it if if they're equally human and equally valuable, is it okay to also take the life of the toddler in that situation? And again, we would apply that to the cases of rape and incest as well, which is to say, if this two-year-old was conceived and was born out of rape, can we go ahead and kill him too? And obviously the answer is no. So in order to be consistent and as we make our arguments for what scenarios are morally okay and morally not okay and what should be legal and what should be illegal these are the kinds of things that we need to consider okay um i think we're going to go ahead and uh close our discussion there i think we've talked about quite a bit obviously we can talk days and weeks and months and years and the rest of our lives and in, in on this issue and trying to make our case and address all of the nuances that come in with it but at the same time we do think and i think we do we do believe that it is quite simple in trying to determine if this is something that we should do. And uh, we've talked about at least one scenario or um, situation that it would be say morally okay, morally permissible, ethical, whatever you want to call it. But obviously in trying to be consistent in formulating our arguments, there's definitely a lot of things that we need to consider. And I think help us solidify our case and, um, and make a make us have a reasonable case uh before we close uh, are there any um questions or comments or just something that we kind of want to wrap this up with uh, as we think about it give you all about five seconds you know sometimes i think my mom utilizes my tallness and values me more based off <laughs> i feel that way too. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was kind of the same way growing up I both my mom and dad were, were, uh, uh, this is what you mean by that. My, both my mom and dad were sh short. And so I was tall. Yeah. I was taller than both of them by, by middle school. And so, yeah. Hey, uh, can you reach that? Can you do this? Can you lift this? And so, you know, yeah, just because, yeah, but <laughs> because I was say taller than my parents by the time I was in junior high, um, does that make it, does, does that make me more valuable? And, uh, clearly no, but yeah, that, that's a, that's a good point. Um, now, you know, obviously this is, there's a reason why this is a hotly debated topic and why this is a sensitive issue. And as Christians debating this issue, um, we are obligated to exercise more care and concern, um, and to listen um, you know, what, what is, 
what is something that we can sort of like offer as hope? Because no doubt, uh, uh, we are going to know if we don't already know somebody who's affected by this or has been affected by this or will be affected by this. And I think statistically speaking, I, uh, if I, if I remember this statistic correctly, I believe it's one in four women, um, will make this decision in their lifetime. Um, so obviously it affects a great amount of people, whether women who you know, actually do it and actually make the decision to have an abortion or, you know, people who know people, um, so is there any sort of like, you know, hope or, um, just things that we can say in regards to that, you know, as Christians, because we don't just want to say, you know, you know, killing babies is bad and it's immoral while that may be correct. You know, what, how do we best frame this and what is our mindset as we address this just, be, you know, besides our arguments, which arguments, yes, they don't have genders and they don't have emotion. Although sometimes emotions are tacked onto it, um, as Christians, what, what, how are we obligated to approach this, or what hope do we also offer? Well, we need to do it with love, and just remind uh, anyone who maybe knows someone or has made this just choice that um, there is forgiveness. There is nothing that you that someone does that cannot be forgiven there is always forgiveness and mercy from god and not only on them but also on i believe the the children that have this is affected um i i do believe that god shows them mercy and that uh, he's taken them to be with him uh and um yeah uh so don't let it control you it, it doesn't have uh power over you his forgiveness is stronger Good. Yeah. And, you know, our goal is not to shame anybody. Our goal is not to make people feel terrible for doing this or even thinking about it. Um, although, you know, there, there's plenty of shame that comes along with something like this. Um, you know, our, our goal is not to beat women into a corner and make them feel, you know, make them feel less human for doing this um, or making these sorts of decisions. And, and again, it's not just the women oftentimes making these decisions. There's you know, boyfriends or, you know, uh, or even abusive boyfriends or husbands or who uh, people that are also helping them or making them make these decisions. So in all of that, um, we, we don't want to cause any more shame or guilt um, or exacerbate that in any way. Um, we want to be able to temper this with love and with hope and with um, uh, Josh, I think you said, you know, redemption, forgiveness, you know, all of those things are there. This is something that is not unforgivable. This is something that God has shouldered um, in his uh, act of reconciliation, redemption, and forgiveness uh, in his atonement. So this is how we as Christians temper our arguments on this issue is to say, there's a lot more going on here. Um, and so we want to take the most amount of care that we can to say, there's hope in this. You can find forgiveness. You don't have to bear this burden. And our goal is not to shame you. Um, we we do want to think rightly. We want to do the right thing and do what is moral and just from a biblical perspective. But also what is entailed in a biblical, biblical perspective is the gospel itself, which is you can be forgiven. Um, this is not something that uh, it, you have to carry with you as something that you have to be shameful of for the rest of your life. So that is, that is really where our hearts are at and where they should be. 
And it's not about winning an argument. It's not about winning a culture war. It's about protecting image bears and providing a message of hope for those who are affected by it. So um, very good. Um, I think that's a good place to end our discussion today. Um, if anyone is listening to this, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, maybe we'll come on some other time and answer any further questions that could come up as a result. So with that, we are signing off. Thank you for listening.